the only way you invent the future is by deciding that you know what the future is that you want to create and you don't give a damn what anybody else thinks because that is the future that you are going to invent. Don't try to be anything other than you and speak to the things that would move you in the world. And once you've got that, you're free. We're no longer in a place where silence is helpful. Disrupt, have conversations. Welcome, welcome to, to love, love This. Kate, Maria and I would like to welcome you to Love This. How are you? I hear it's a, I know you're in London. It's like an 8 a.m. Looks like a nice morning. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Summertime. I know it's 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 like every now and then we get a good day. Last week we got a good week. Amazing! Oh, amazing! Oh, that's beautiful. And are you um, are you out and about? Like uh, we allowed are. to leave the house? Yeah, great. We are. We're we're sort of um, we're pretty much out of all lockdown now. Oh, brilliant! That's yeah. great. Liberating. And we've all had our double vaccine, so. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I've had my first half and um, it did feel like something to celebrate, even though we obviously haven't been in the same predicament as no. the rest of the world in New Zealand. We've been lucky, but um, it felt, did feel like a bit of an occasion. Yeah. It is. I think, it, it, I think we've, we've all found it quite emotional, I think. Yeah. It sort of feels like a real sense of community and camaraderie when you get it done. Um, can I begin uh, this conversation by asking something that we ask um, everyone, bit of a warm up, um, and that's given the name of the podcast. What is the this that you currently love, Kate? The this that I'm currently loving. I'm just moving my. I've got it here. Yeah. So it, it's this book oh. that I'm reading. I'm reading it. It's called The Lonely Century, and it really is about you know how actually we've become incredibly disconnected. You know, ironic that we're on the other side of the world and we're utterly connected. But, but you know, it's explaining sort of how we have and how COVID has sort of exasperated that situation, but also how you, how we do something about it. Yeah. So does that mean it's left you, like, what's that, after reading that, um, how's it left you feeling? I'm in the middle of it. So nah. it's, <laughs> however, what it's, what it's left me feeling is, um, you know, it, it's very hopeful. It's, it's just sort of, uh, acknowledging the sort of states we're in and the things we can do about it. And, and then it's really basic human truths, you know, like we, uh, in order to feel not lonely, we need some very simple human connections in a week, which might just be saying hello to someone in a street. But obviously, people haven't been able to do that. So it's sort of remembering what we need as humans. Oh, beautiful. That sounds awesome. I'm definitely going to read that. <laughs> um, so there's a lot that we want to talk to you about. But um, if we begin a little bit at the beginning, um, I don't know, when we talk to someone as accomplished as you are, who's um, been uh, in the in it. Around a lot. Around, <laughs> in it. <laughs> who's seen changes in things. Um, can you talk a little bit about what it was like um, starting out for you, I guess, um, in the industry and how that even became, I don't know, an, op an option for you back then? Yeah. It's um, it's really funny because today my nephew starts uh, work 
uh, and he's uh, just finished Central St. Martin's doing graphic design. And he's got a, um, he's doing some work at Ogilvy Healthcare. And, um, it, and he sent me a little picture, like this is his first day. And it really made me sort of think about, you know, step back all those years and those sort of those, those feelings of, of excitement and trepidation when you step in an office really for the first time. Um, I, uh, uh, so, so I think in many ways, everything's the same, but everything's really different. You know what I mean? So I think there's so many similarities, uh, as again, with some of those fundamentals. Um, I, I mean, I, I, it sounds really mad because my dad was creative director of Leo Burnett's. Um, but I had no idea what advertising was. And, I, and, and partly the fact that he did that meant that I didn't really want to find out. You know, I'd sort of wanted to carve my own path, as I think so many children do. So I sort of almost made it my job to not be interested in advertising. So I went to art college um, and actually sort of really was in a space of more des uh, design and animation uh, and graphics um, and was sort of heading towards maybe uh, joining a, a graphic animation TV company. And um, uh, a friend in, on my course who desperately wanted to do advertising, she uh, sent my portfolio into BBH with hers. And then she said to me, oh, you know, I've got us a placement in the summer uh, at BBH and I was going, well, I don't want to do that. And she said, well, you've got to, because if, if, if you don't do it, then I don't get my place, you know, because, because in advertising, they do it in teams and you, and you will be the art director and I'll be the writer. And I was like, oh God, I really don't want to do this, but I'll come down. And I, I did it. We were in Liverpool Art College. So we came down to London, uh, did like literally the first day, given a brief for Audi. And, um, I just thought, Oh my God, is this what it is? This is amazing. So you get to do ideas. I never realized that. I had no idea that that's really what it was about. And the fact I was a pretty shitty graphic designer <laughs> suddenly made me go, brilliant. I might, have, there is hope, you know. And because I realized that I was quite conceptual, I, I really sort of, I was quite a good problem solver. But whether I had any specific, you know, illustration skill or so-so, you know. So I suddenly saw there was this light of this could be for me. Um, and that's and, and that was it, really. Uh, we went back to college. We came down to London. We traipsed around with our portfolio, saw loads and loads of people until someone finally gave us uh, a job, Did you know. We did have lots of, at that time, it was very unusual to be two women. Um, and so we were seen a bit like a token in a creative department. So people would say, oh, well, we're not sure we need another female team. <laughs> I mean, my God. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. But um, because it was sort of like, oh, yeah, well, you do a specific type of work or something. I mean, I actually don't know, but there was that. And we just sort of. You know, but so much of the business didn't think like that, but we got quite a lot of it. And we, we found ourselves always being probably really one of the only female teams whenever we were doing placement, uh, which was a bit intimidating. Yeah, um, definitely. 
you know, we found, you know, some of the environments were quite, um, uh, uh, you know, Larry and, uh, and blokey. I think we, we yeah. had to learn to sort of give as good as we got. I became quite good at pool, very good at drinking, you know, and, uh, which I, I mean, to, to be fair, I always was. Um, and, you know, I think we sort of, and I think, you know, those, those attributes of, um, sort of being prepared to make a fool of yourself. I realized those are things actually quite important to not quite care what people think because you're having to expose your inner thinkings to other people and they're quite within their right to say that they're shit. So that is quite a hard thing to learn. So, I mean, you know, and, and then from then, um, worked in a couple of small, small agencies until my partner that got me into this mess decided she didn't like living in London and, and went back to Liverpool. And I teamed up with my next writer called Tim Hearn. We met on a, on the tube, just met each other on the tube, got talking, uh, went what, to by, the pub. By, by, um, by chance, or you mean on purpose? Totally by chance. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, and then, then we realized we had lots of people in common. Then we sort of just said, okay, well, let's try. Uh, he said, why don't you, why don't, you know, he said, I've been a very bad art director, so I'd like to be a writer. And we started working together. We got some freelance and then we started at Gold Greener's Trot. Um, we kind of got ourselves a, an opportunity there and we loved it. Uh, we absolutely loved it. And we love working with Dave Trot and we sort of spent the next seven or eight years there. Uh, and did so much work. It was like 25 years in five years. How amazing. And what did, what did you learn most from Dave Trott, do you think? I, I mean, Dave, I mean, I don't know if any of you uh, ever have a chance, but I would recommend it. Dave does a blog, which is brilliant. Uh, and what he, he always has, he's got sort of core theories and thoughts which are relevant to whatever time. You know, they're timeless. Uh, so Dave taught me to think, I always say, uh, he, he really interrogated a brief and a challenge. He's, he was literally the best planner I've ever met. Wow. Uh, and he just taught you how to find what is important in, in the problem. Uh, and then find, I mean, at the time we did incredibly populist type of work. So then it was about finding what would be, uh, you know, popular, uh, we were, uh, what would be memorable. And actually way before its time, its mantra was always make the work that people want to talk about in the pub uh, or in the playground. And you kind of think that was pretty social media, but that was its ambition. And, and so he taught you to make work that would be, people would like and and love uh and and what might be those things to help you do it but never sort of veering off from what the core task was so he would be brutal about reviewing you and he'd just go well no that won't do it that way we'd be like oh god but a, a a phenomenal experience to work with him and also all the people that he had in his department you know he he built he had a principle that he had a very young department because he thought uh, all of us together could beat 
the experience departments in 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 London specifically. Yeah, amazing. Can I ask you a quick question about that? I'm just thinking about a couple of things you've said there. You know, you're saying that uh, for in a lot of these places, you guys were the only um, female team, and then you, you're saying that you were um, taught amazingly well how to find the the right the the right part of the brief and then create work that people talk about in the pub and something that um I'd I'd love to hear your take on since you have been in the industry um for a while and watched like um the lens of who work is for expand because I'm imagining that and tell me if I'm wrong but I'm imagining that um sometimes when you're kind of a you have a unique lens in a creative department but you're forced to get very good at having more of a universal lens uh, in this situation. Maybe that's a, I'm guessing, a white male lens. I'm guess I'm wondering if a, a strength that you maybe had because of that is that you were very good at looking at work through different lenses, and that may have been a skill that you've developed into leadership. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting sort of thought. I mean, you never really quite analyse what you have and, and why you get to be okay at it but I do think I mean I I do think the I've learned to challenge sort of particularly as I sort of became a creative director uh, and would you know review work from everyone to to try and and I always look at work when I'm looking at it through a different lens to the people that are writing it I knew that as a woman because the majority of of people that were working on stuff were, were men. And I would always throw back to say, even really simple things, like instinctively, why have we got a man driving the car? Or just tiny, tiny little things. Um, or just instinctively that these things wouldn't happen. And just because they seem to be a stereotype, we're not going to conform to that. And I think that's, you know, we have a huge... Um, realization particularly in the states in the uk uh, you know probably where you guys are that we have been uh we we haven't been that inclusive as an industry um and that that has held us back in terms of being relevant to our consumers uh and i think it is changing not fast enough but it is changing and i think that realization that if we don't have diverse talent in our in our industry, then how can we expect to be communicating and connecting in a really relevant way to the audiences we we need to talk to? So I, th- I think that's you know from a female perspective that's one. But I'm still white and quite middle class, so I think making sure that that we are really aware of our differences. Because, because we do come at things through our own lens. And it's, unless you're aware that you're doing that, I think as soon as you're aware you're doing that, then things get better because yeah. you start developing this, this consciousness uh, and challenging your unconscious bias. Uh, and, I, and I think it's just something you have to remind yourself day in, day out. You know, are we, are we representing the right audience? Do we understand that? Why don't we understand it? How do we walk in their shoes? How do we learn more? 
So I think that's uh, I think that's something that is uh, has not been the case for a long time. I mean, we've always used planning as a default to trying to think we understand, but I think we know as creative people that there's something a bit more than that, uh, and and we need to really understand. If we're talking to various communities and peoples with different backgrounds, I think we just have to make sure that we have that reflected in our own work, um, in in the talent that we hire. I think it's also interesting as a creative leader. Something I've been thinking lots about and talking to Beth about is the fact that there's a beautiful combination when you have a very little ego gives you an openness to new ways of thinking, and therefore as a leader. You know, when you've got diverse talent in your department, you're going to receive the ideas, you know, uh, more freely, I think. Um, I th- it's a really good point. And I think because I always say when people say, you know, what are what are the attributes to being uh, a, a successful creative director or whatever? And, and I think it's collaboration and determination. And, and, and I think, you know, and, and as you say, that ability for collaboration read, a sort of understanding that you don't know everything and therefore that most people will do it better than you uh, and, and therefore an, an, an eagerness to be successful, therefore garner as much of that information, talent and knowledge uh, as possible to, to, to work with and learn from. And, and to sort of feed into something, and I do. I think being open to that is a is um, maybe something that is instinctive and intuitive for some people. But if if it if other people don't have it, it's a really good thing to try and learn. Yeah, something yeah. that I talk a bit to my male colleagues about is the use of language in that role. You know, like uh, I often start a lot of my sentences as like as a queer dyslexic white New Zealander. I think this is funny. You know what I mean? But um, And I say that to men quite a lot because their language use often is that's funny or that's not funny. But as soon as they put their position on it first, it gives anyone a little bit room to say, yeah, but that's because, or it's easier to challenge. So um, I find, yeah, expanding, being acute with language is kind of like a good way to begin. I, I, I utterly agree. I mean, I, I'll tell you what I found really interesting. Um, I did, uh, you know, I've done lots of judging over the years, as you guys will have done. And um, sort of my first experience of CAN was when I joined Sarches because I'd, you know, I'd worked at Goldgreen's Trot where we did very UK work and I didn't even know CAN exists. And then um, we set up an agency called St Luke's which one of its founding principles was not enter awards. So, uh, um, so again, was not part of that, that world. And so when I joined Sarches, I suddenly was thrown into this world of, of, of awards and specifically can, which I never even. So I got invited to be on the, the film jury and, uh, Bob Isherwood, who was my, uh, global uh, creative director at the time sort of rang me up instantly and said brilliant news Kate you're on the you're on the Cannes film jury and I went oh uh, yeah I don't think I'm going to do that he went what <laughs> and I went yeah it sounds really awful and it's like eight days in in Cannes and I, I had an 18 month old baby oh, yeah. and and oh. I was going 
I can't be away from Otto for that time. I, I'm just, and he said, no, Kate, you don't understand. You have to do it. And I was going, why? You know, and in the end, he convinced me that I had to do it. And I convinced my husband that he could look after the baby for eight days. Uh, and off I went. But I was sort of, I think myself and Susan Cheadle were the only two women in 21 jurors. And to your point, the, the language of assertive, well, that's just good or that's just, and the, and, and trying to get the confidence to challenge that. And what you had to do was really find a very sharp articulation because it wasn't going to wash to just go back and say, well, I don't agree. It's not funny or, you know, you had to find something that was very incisive in order to allow the debate to, to question whether it was or not. Um, and I think I've learned to do that, um, to try and be, as you say, quite specific or come explain yourself a little bit in how you communicate in order that people have a way to go back from or come back at you. Um, but, but I, I, I just, it, it felt to me that experience of being in that jury reminded me so acutely of, of how you feel, as you say, when you're having that discussion. And then, you know, cut to a couple of years ago, I was on the titanium jury, which was a 50-50 jury, 50% women, 50% men. And it was a totally different experience. And what was interesting, and again, this sounds really stupid to say, but I suddenly realized that a lot of my taste and sensibilities were about, but came from a female perspective. I'd never even, I just thought they were a perspective, <laughs> but I kind of never factored that in or allowed myself to factor that in because I, I didn't necessarily feel it was a relevant a relevant thing. So, so we started having conversations where literally some work split us right down the middle and it was a gender divide. Uh, it was really interesting. And, and we had to try and convince the other perspectives why we saw it like that. You know, it was, it was, a, it was a wonderful experience. It's wonderful discussion, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 I mean, I've, I feel it's a really numpty thing to say to sort of suddenly realize that, you know, that's, that's, you know, that your perspective is obviously who you are and, and, and your, uh, the gender you are or you choose to be is, is one of those, uh, one of those things that sort of defines your, the way you view the world. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And your DNAD um, jury, obviously, you were the president of the press and outdoor category this year, um, and the president of the whole DNAD the year before, which is incredible. But how did you find your jury this year? Was it sort of an a, an interesting mix of um, diverse people? It it was, and again, I think DNAD do this so well. They've been championing this for a long time, so doing those juries. Uh, has been, and you know, DNAD was over the years had a, a slight bias to, towards uh, British jurors. It's made a real attempt to be much more international. Um, it's it's uh, the last I think 
I, I wouldn't like to put a time on it, but certainly for the last juries that I can remember, there's been a really positive split. Um, and I think trying to make sure that there is a good representation from Black, Asian and other ethnic groups as well. But not just that, you know, just experience, different experience from different places, different styles of of work, um, bringing that to the party. So I found it fascinating. We had a brilliant jury uh, um, and uh, everyone... Uh, and also because at the moment you get to, you know, see people at home. So you yeah. really get a sense of, yeah. where, you know, where we're from. Yeah, which is quite fu- which is quite nice, you know. And um, uh, and and you awarded sixty pencils. Uh, only three were yellow, which is, as per DNAD, super super tough, right? <laughs> um, it, you know, isn't it? We sort of go as cre- I always think that DNAD is the creatives creative award, absolutely, uh, because we kind of know how tough it is. We have huge respect for that. And one, one of the balances, I think, you know, what you want to do is to, to make the awards, uh, something that, uh, demonstrates our industry at its very best, but also encourages talent to, achieve, to recognize that they can achieve it. You know, so that sort of brutality is, is, you know, you want to make sure that people see that it is possible. Absolutely. Um, uh, and, and actually, I think this year, by having a lot more content from the judging and uh, uh, helping people understand why things are awarded and why when it gets down to that, you know, iconic yellow pencil, it really gets tough, you know, Absolutely. because you you go, oh, well, it's a pencil, you know. I can't just, you know, I can't forgive the fact that that typeface is awful. <laughs> <laughs> and um, in terms of like the press and outdoor category, it's kind of unique. I love it because it's it's true craft, isn't it? You know, and uh, were you looking for craft this year? What what was it that you were kind of talking a lot about as a jury in terms of what made the work a yellow pencil? Well, you've got those, those three yellows. Um, and I think you, you do. I think always the idea, you know, and I think you start with that when you get into, but then it's execution of that idea, you know, how it's relevant to the audience, um, how it works in its medium. All those things become part of the discussion. But I think you're so right. It, when it comes to, uh, I mean, print is interesting because it's uh, and publishing because it is evolving new technologies. A lot of stuff is beginning to be in this lovely space of a, a third space where it kind of uses uh, sort of real and virtual. So I think that's interesting. But the, the the three pieces were incredibly traditional that we ended up giving the yellow to uh, the dove. Uh, the dove courage is beautiful. Was I think, and I, uh, there was one particular, there's a, it's a whole campaign and actually we debated long and hard whether, which, you know, but there is the one image that is iconic, I think. And it probably, you know, I think advertising, when you look back and, you know, when you look at the annual, it captures a moment in time. And if there was ever a piece that caught a year, that piece did it. 
I mean, so effortlessly and brilliantly. Um, and it felt like we said because of the medium it was in, it felt like those portraits were in your world. They just kind of zooming in to where you were and felt that real connection, which, you know, it, it, and it, there's, it's so simple. That it's a picture and three words. Man, that's cool. That's super cool. So I thought yeah. that was, you know, we loved that. And I think we just couldn't get away from its, it, it, its kind of reductive simplicity that just captured a year. Uh, and, 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 you know, I think also, aren't we all fans of what Dove have done for the last however many years? Uh, and, and because of that brand that they built up, they could do that, you know, it, it, it came from the brand uh, and it's it sort of testament to sticking with something uh, and, and, and standing for something. Uh, so I, I just, we all loved that. I think it's the, also, um, I think it's also interesting, like the power of, an, to be reminded of the power of an image. We, we can in this day and age get quite complex um, with the way we execute ideas and forget that an image with a beautiful line can be just as powerful as something that might, you know, win in a titanium type category. Um, you know, it's, I think it's a good reminder. And I, and I read that they, that they did that campaign in six days or something, which is also amazing because it's another reminder that amazing work doesn't have to be hard. <laughs> Well, I think that's, you know, because you, you do look at a work and, and we all work on stuff, you know, that takes three years and, you know, it's extraordinary, as you say, complex because even if it's delivery, it sort of manifests itself as something beautifully simple. Um, but something like that, you know, I think uh, the pandemic taught us a lot of things. And one of them is that we can do stuff in a miraculous time uh, because, because being in the moment was really important at that time. Uh, and uh, so I think that was something that, uh, and as you say, it is a classic, it's classic, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I, and, and I think that's, um, when we, st we, you distill stuff down when you're learning advertising, it's those things that you have to be able to do and probably the hardest things to do. I agree. Yeah. I mean, even in Press and Outdoor too, like that campaign made me think a lot about, I mean, obviously uh, I'm, I'm, we're over in New Zealand so we weren't living that reality, but um, it was hard to watch the reality of most countries around the world and something that I really liked about that piece of work when I saw it is that the first thing that I thought was um, how it might frame my a behavior change in me if I saw that and I was in the UK or the US and what I might immediately want to do to help them out in terms of staying at home more or, get, or getting vaccinated or whatever it whatever it is the because at the time it felt like there was such a um the the visibility of the hospitals and essential care workers because of privacy and health reasons um it's really hard to show the power of what's going on in those places and without having to show any um, gruesome inner workings of the hospital, an image like that, bam, puts you puts puts you right there. And it's really interesting to, to hear you talk about the fact that you discussed 
the framing and how close the framing was. We just finished having a conversation actually about the framing of the Mona the Mona Lisa and how that was like a really special moment and change from a full body framing to like almost like a selfie framing. Um, it's kind of it's sort of interesting that we can have a conversation about an image like that and then be having a conversation about an image like this. Um, I guess that's why I love I love creativity and talking about uh, doing what we do is great. It is. <laughs> but, um, it's, but, but it's those choices that you make yeah. that make that make you know a, a powerful something powerful um, and and they're subtle and and it's sort of starting to to learn that you know mm-hmm. and giving yourself that when you're making those images you know that selection process mm-hmm. what you get what you think you're going in for and what you get out you know the fact that that person is that woman is just looking at you. Mm. Um, it's extraordinary, yeah. And while we're talking about DNAD, um, and we've been talking to a few of the um, jury presidents and stuff, but something we haven't talked about that I have heard you talk about um, that is important for DNAD is the is what they're doing in other spaces um, to make sure that potential is realised. And I do love that yeah. about um, DNAD. So things like Masterclass and Shift and have you been – actively involved with those things over the years? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think the teenage, I mean, right from when I was at St. Luke's, because we didn't enter awards, my involvement was always with the education of DNAD. So that's where my big passion has always been. Uh, it's a charity and any money that we make from the awards goes into these programs. And I think, you know, the, uh, uh, there's the new blood, which has always been uh, student awards, and that is, I think, there were two hundred and eighty thousand entries or something. Wow. So it, it, it's uh, from all over the world, and that is an amazing sort of opportunity. And that award that those students get really is a, a springboard for them when they're going out uh, and trying to get their first jobs. And then, and then there is shift. For me, that is so. Um, so important for those that don't know shift was a program that was started to try and reach, uh, talent that is in communities that, uh, doesn't see the industry as for them. So, um, trying to go into, uh, black Asian communities to, to talk to, uh, people with disabilities, uh, uh, gender, um, people that might not think that this is a, 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 there is a creative career for them for all sorts of reasons. Um, probably because it's never even got near to them. And so we go out and actively try and recruit. The only criteria is you haven't gone to college. Uh, although quite a few people, once they've done it, end up going to college, which is amazing. That is amazing. Um, and it's uh, done as a night class so that um, so that people can earn a living doing jobs and, that, and, and it's uh, done with practitioners. They come into agencies or studios, uh, client set briefs, uh, amazing tutors uh, that we have. And it just is the most phenomenal program. And through that, we do a sort of a mini graduation uh, and people, they put on a show for their final work. And then 
you know, we have great success stories of people then going out and pursuing that as their career, getting hired. Um, and it is a way to try and diversify our talent. So selfishly as an industry, it's essential. But, and, and also show how the skills, a raw creative talent, you know, one, uh, I remember one young man was a spoken word poet and his writing is just phenomenal. Wow. And his speaking, um, you know, so it's getting talent that might not think that there is a, a space for them in our industry, but there absolutely is. One thing I'd love to ask you about, just given the different kind of roles you've had in different types of companies you've been in through your career, like what differences have you noticed between being in a big network like Saatchi and Saatchi versus starting your own your own um, business, which you've also done? Yeah, I think, you know, um, I always thought I was someone that um, was only about something small. I liked being in a very intimate environment. Um, I liked uh, having a relationship with every single person in the business. Uh, I, uh, and, and so I'd only worked in, in those small agencies and, and sort of when we did St. Luke's and then I went on to do Boy Meets Girl, they, you know, St. Luke's became very successful. And actually we struggled when we got like 120 people. We almost didn't quite know what to, because our, we hadn't honed the right management skills to evolve it in a way. Yeah, it feels uh, like and we a, were, it feels like there's a number, isn't there, as an agency when it starts to change. Um, yeah, you know whether it's eighty or whether it's a hundred, it's somewhere around there, and it starts to. Sort it of is. Go I mean, we 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 read a lot about it. We read that seventy was the maximum right. like <laughs> uh, human relationships you could properly have. Yeah, right. So we, as soon as we got over seventy, we decided to split the agency into these two parts. You know whether that was successful or not, but it was sort of our way of naively experimenting with that. Sounds you know, like um, for us. Sounds like you were pioneering like the TV show Survivor, but early. (laughs) (laughs) It was was quite brutal. It was. It was highly, we created this highly, the red team and the blue team, really competitive. Amazing. Um, But I think we wrestled with with that. Um, And so I've always, I I love the intimacy of that. For me, the serendipitous nature of being able to uh, uh, work properly with people that might not be, the people you directly would work with was really important. So, yeah, no one more surprised than me to find myself <laughs> such is. But, but I sort of got rug, I, I got rug up and uh, I just went, no, 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 no. Uh, there is no way I would want to work in a big agency. And they, ke- and they kept saying, well, go in and meet them. And I was going, no, no, I just know I'm not that kind of person. I just would like to be in an, uh, a small, a small creative boutique, you know. And finally, I got convinced, of course, I met them and I just fell in love with everyone. And, uh, and, and I, I just adore it. And, and what I learned was it's not much different, you know. Yeah, Actually, you know, when you pull it apart, it's about the people in it at the time. Uh, and, and you make that agency with its 40 years of history and the burden of its amazing success. And uh, you make it yours for the time you're there. And you make it 
you know, everyone in that place at that time, it's their agency. It's not whoever's it was before and it's not whoever's is going to come, you know, in the future. It's theirs and they make it theirs. And I, I, I want it to be the place where people look back and go, that was the best time of my career when I was there because I was given the freedom to fail which I think is what you get in boutiques. Somehow when things are bigger, it's harder to fail because there's more riding on it. So trying to create that environment where um, people feel safe to still experiment uh, because you want the work to keep pushing in it. And, uh, you know, I think there's no surprise when you look at independents and smaller agencies, you see work that you know, often is leading the way. It feels more experimental. So I always want the agency to be that agency that that is putting work out there that, you know, what I love is when people come for interviews at Saatchi, they just go, oh my God, I just didn't know that you did that. And it's so different. Uh, and there's no one piece of work that defines it, you know, that, that, that people are able to do really different work within it. And I think that's that culture of trying stuff and not, not, not being frowned upon, you know, if it's a bit like, uh, well, that's never going to work. Maybe it will. You know, we have a, we, we've got our mantra that we have in all our offices, which is nothing's impossible. And, and that's a little bit of a spirit of, of kind to set North Stars with clients, to set impossible challenges for a business, to say, could we? Could we beat that other brand? Could we be out there doing that? And when you set that sort of, that, that North Star, the impossible challenge, everything else sort of gets a little bit more ambitious because you're reaching a little bit further than you thought you might be. Oh, man, I love being around um, big thinkers. And there are big thinkers sure and then i've met a few big thinkers do you know what i mean and <laughs> it usually takes me with big thinkers and I, I don't know sometimes i can be in that camp which isn't great but um i'm thinking of a few in my life right now where i almost even though i believe 100 percent in them there's still a piece of me that's like i don't know it takes like but six months later um i see the complete value in that. I remember being told earlier in my career that, I don't know if this is true, but you're one kind of creator. You're either like a moonshot type of person and that's totally okay. And you're probably going to have a career where you get have a lot of disappointments, but like five or six times or one or two times, you're going to create something that's just like magical, you know? And then there are creatives who love delivering more than more than enough most of the time and that's another way to be super super successful and they're two quite different ways to lead actually and um one of the questions we did want to talk to you about um not just in that way but this can be hard to answer too but what kind of leader are you i guess i mean if people were describing you like I, we did a bit of, i did a bit of like sneaky uh, reading and you know you mentioned your father i know he was a creative director and um, everyone, you know, um, everyone deeply loves um, like great dads. And it sounds like you had a particularly good one and you've described him as like super smart, and super funny and that he started a heap of careers. And now you do that. You start careers, you know. Um, I don't know. Like how, did the, how do you think you – what's your leadership style, I suppose? It, it's uh, – <laughs> 
It's funny, isn't it? I think it's very hard uh, to to self analyze, is. isn't it? it um, is. I I think so. I, if you ask someone else, they'll probably say absolutely opposite because I think I'm really open, and, <laughs> and I think they go, "She's really fierce, and she's really." Um, I uh, my leadership style is to um, sort of lead from behind rather than. Uh, from on top so try and be a a foundation to support uh to nurture talent to to recognize opportunities um and to, to to give them to people um to to sort of um so i think that's would be how i describe myself i mean i i try and have everyone sort of as a collective and I think learning that from St Luke's what I also learn is someone somewhere has to make a decision uh and I think this is sort of why you know some creatives make good creative directors and some don't and I I never think that means that you are a better creative in fact I think it probably is the opposite um so I think to, to your point where there are different types of creatives, I think, you know, I found that I enjoyed creative directing because I was better at it than being a creative. I knew that because I started being uh, sort of when I worked with, in my team with Tim, I was the idea um, sort of spewer. I would just go Bleh! like thousands of, I, of stuff and he'd just go whoa 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 you know let's let's like let's just take that one and let's see if we can and I'd almost be bored by that time I'd want and I've had to force myself to say actually editing is so fundamental to this uh, and I've really started recognizing that in myself that actually recognizing a good idea and actually, one of the things Dave Trott did to us, going back to right at the beginning, which I think really taught me. So the first week of our first job, um, and so we literally just kind of newbies, never been working. And he goes, right, you're now going to look after the students. And we were like, oh, my God, we are students. And we used to run, a, he ran a course, which was called the, the uh, DNAD Rejects, because DNAD used to run a course back then for students and they were exceptional. So we always used to ask anyone that had been rejected from it, we would run a course from them. Uh, and uh, so we did night classes with students from the get-go and that was so hard, learning to crit work when you were only at the stage of just, you know, what makes a good... So it forced us to articulate why we thought one person's, you know, one piece was better than another, why, what was good about that, what was the potential. And I think that really helped me sort of going forward. And so I, I do find I am quite incisive with sort of picking something out in a crit uh, and going, right, let's just focus on that. Uh, having an instinct around uh, that feels like a, that feels like where to go. But my what I'm bad at is like knowing when to stop. Like I always think maybe if we just go a bit further, it will be better. Maybe, you know, like, and I think there is a point where I have to, I've got a lot of learning to do 
which is just, okay, enough, stop, now let's just make, this is really good, let's make it really, really good. So I think that's a skill you have to learn. Um, and then, and, and, you know, I think leadership is about, uh, uh, really listening to people. So I don't think it's about broadcasting. And I think it's about really listening. And, um, you know, sometimes you're asked to be on a platform. Uh, and I think that's quite a traditional idea of leadership. And, and maybe, you know, we articulate great leadership as people that set visions and, um, a, a sort of, uh, a, a an iconic figure. Um, I think maybe that was sort of a style of leadership from a, a bit of a different time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so teams, I think, can be, you know, t- people that work in a team, people that uh, listen to what's needed, uh, uh, but then clearly set tasks for people. Because I think... Uh, giving people clear feedback and clearly setting tasks so they know where they stand. Because mm-hmm. what you realize is people kind of get lost. Um, and yeah. sort of understanding where they fit in, what's being asked of them, so what success looks like, I think is really helpful um, I love as, what, as people sort of I love develop. what you're saying there about listening because I think if you if you do it the other way around, where you you, you give tasks and to give direction without listening first, uh, you're probably not going to give the same direction. So you know it is an important aspect of leadership to be able to listen before you decide the right you know the right feedback or the right direction or the right advice. And exactly, and I think that's with clients, isn't it? Absolutely, uh, really understanding really listening so that we we kind of understand and really articulate the task and then I think you know again with you know putting the right people to the right task is a real skill because if you put the wrong people on something they're going to fail and that's just a disaster for them and everyone Um, so so giving everyone the best chance of success so you know playing in the right position for the right job at the right time and and really making sure that people are supported so that they can be successful in what they're they're doing. I think that's, you know, putting people, just letting them run. Some people want to run and be utterly independent. That's their style. Other people, you recognize they need, they need sort of nurturing and they need a bit of support so that they don't feel exposed. Mm. Um, uh, and you can see, you know, when people are struggling, particularly at the moment where we are all a little bit isolated still, struggling with their mental health, a lot of that's coming from feeling sort of utterly responsible for something with no support around you. That's right. So I think that, again, is just a little, um, it's become more uh, uh, obvious in the last 18 months, but that's, that's sort of what goes on. So us as leaders being more acutely aware of that is really important, I think. And then in your role, obviously, you know, Global Chief Creative Officer, you're across um, 114 offices in 76 countries. So how do you... How do you manage that? Do you sort of... Yeah, so- uh, sounds, uh, sounds, sounds busy, Kate. It does. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the truth is, I think with so many of these roles, the offices get on with themselves and you know you've got your own uh the, the own sensibilities there's you know our, our office in 
Melbourne or Sydney, you know, they're, they're doing their thing. Uh, I, and all I can do is support the creative leaders in, in those offices um, and and some of the clients that maybe, you know, I can be helpful to. But that's, I think, the role. The role for me uh, with the Saatchi role is really supporting them as individuals um, and then and then sharing the work to say what you know where is some of this work great how can we make it better why is some of the work on some of these clients just falling falling down how can we you know improve it and and actually just the forum of getting groups of people together is incredibly useful because we share stuff we 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 sort of share tips on we, we we sometimes it's just a moan fest <laughs> but even that is quite good you know when suddenly you go oh god everyone else has got the same challenges yeah um that's helpful yeah i do it with maria so all we the kind time. of yeah <laughs> yeah you know but that's it isn't it yeah. it's just sort of like understanding that so so I think that's, you know, as a, as a creative leader, that's what you're doing. Obviously, you're trying to raise the creative bar. Um, and obviously, you are um, trying to push, uh, push that as much as possible. But I think a lot of it comes from, you know, the people in those jobs are fantastic. Uh, sometimes having a bit of, um, you know, it's, it's the same when we look at work, isn't it? When you're right in the weeds, you can't see the bigger picture and I'm able to give people a bigger picture because I can see sort of lots of different things going on uh, and I've got access to sort of you know a little bit of an understanding of a lot of places which you know I can sometimes say why don't you talk to Fernando because he's he's got that sort of thing going on and I think you know those are the helpful things. I'd imagine that you'd be seeing themes pop up too across the offices like I mean in the middle of a global pandemic how much discussion has there been around the mental health of yeah. of creative people? That's it, and and you know what we found, you know we, uh, you know one of the good things is we're meeting more, more regularly because we're doing it duh, on Zoom rather than you know waiting to all fly to uh, you know somewhere. Um, and one of the things we do, we all check in and just sort of understand what is the temper, what's the sort of feeling in the agencies. Uh, so I start with them as individuals, but then, you know, we talk about some of the, the, the feeling in terms of how, how people are feeling, how people are working. Um, uh, a lot of, you know, we have a lot of young people who are, you know, on their own, a lot of them. So that's been tough for them. But then a lot of creatives have quite liked the sort of being able to work from home uh, and and being able to. So, so actually, you know, a lot of the creatives are enjoying it more than a lot of the, the planners and the account people, interestingly. But, but again, it's sort of different. And, you know, it has been extraordinary, hasn't it? Because we've all had a collective experience. Absolutely. So probably for the first time ever. Everyone is more engaged with each other because they, their experiences are utterly relevant to each other. Mm, yeah. um, and I think that's been fascinating. Yeah. Um, and, and, and sort of all the leaders just love talking about great work. So sort of one of the things I noticed when Bob got us together was you, 
you stopped having to be a leader and you started being a creative again, just for those few days. And I think that's what's nice when you get all these amazing creative leaders together. They can just be creatives and talk about the framing of that shot or, you know, like you could really get into, or if you just did that, or have you thought about writing and everyone sort of revisits their core skills mm. in that way. And I think, and we all come back kind of inspired and refreshed by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I hate to wrap up this conversation because I've been really enjoying it. Yeah. But um, I know we've been lucky enough to get an hour with you anyway and you have to go and do important things. But um, last question that we ask everyone, um, looking back on, um, I don't know, your time in the industry, um, what's the... What's the advice that you would give both to yourself and just to someone getting into the industry now? I think be yourself. Mm. Um, I love that. Me too. Um, and I, I think having the confidence to be yourself. And I, I, and I, I, I have to say that to myself every day. Um, tr- you know, don't just be what you think other people need you to be. Um, and also, I think just creatively, uh, we're at a time where we want different voices. We want work that reflects sort of uh, difference and, and your values. And, and so don't shy away from that, you know, who you are, where you're from. You know, feeding that, you know, feeding that into your work is good. It's not something to be covered up. It's such great so advice. I, you know, that's for me the thing I wish I'd done way more of at the, you know, but you know, it's about building confidence, isn't it? And, uh, uh, you know, having the confidence to be yourself is not easy. No, no, it definitely comes with time. Yeah. That's one of the benefits of being old. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Fantastic. There's lots of benefits. You know, know, not caring what people think of you. Yeah. I'm all for that. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, we are going to run out of time, but um, thank you so much. It, it's been oh, well, um, thank you. very inspiring. And thank you for doing this. It's such a great thing to do. And it's so lovely to be talking to you, not only at the other time of day, but, you know, in winter and summer. I mean, it's so mad when we It think is, isn't it? Yeah. How it works, isn't it? Absolutely. All right. Well, thank have you, a great Kate. day. Thank you, Kate. Have a good evening. (laughs) Bye. See you. Bye.